everybody, Adam here. I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Dominic Archer. He is a writer, creator of many comic books, and his latest book, A Boxer, is coming out soon. It's currently on Kickstarter. We talk about Dominic's whole journey. He has a master's in comics, which is a thing, and it's fascinating. And he really just drops knowledge for about an hour. The interview was originally supposed to be 20 minutes, but... I just couldn't get enough talking to this guy. If you have any interest in the creative process or comics at all, you're absolutely going to love this, but you don't need to hear from me anymore. Let's hear what Dominic has to say. Uh, hey, everyone. Uh, Adam here with So Wizard Podcast. I'm talking to Dominic Archer, creator of an upcoming graphic novel called A Boxer. How you doing, Dominic? I'm great, Adam. How you doing? Doing good. good. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I know we had a little bit of uh, time change issues. You're in Moscow, you said? Yes, I am. Uh, so I'm eight, how, eight hours ahead of you in the States, I think. Uh, and I'm really in need of that coffee. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Um, well, before we get into a boxer, I kind of want to get into your creative background, if you're up for that. Yeah, absolutely. What was the spark? What got you interested in comics and graphic novels? Really, I've always been interested i've always read them um i remember probably the two biggest catalysts to it were my 17th birthday uh my stepdad who's always been surrounded by by comics gave me uh my first copy of watchman on on my 17th birthday and read it cover to cover from start to finish skipping all of the text bits because at, at 17 who has time for that um <laughs> but then after reading that and going oh there's more than spider-man that's interesting um it was the moment he went oh i have Every single Hellblazer, John Constantine comic written from like 1989 to 1992 in the shed, if you want them. And it was with the express understanding that I, I can read them, but then we have to sell them all on eBay. Uh, and about a week later, there was a refusal. We are not selling any of these. They may be 30 years old, but we're keeping them forever. Um, and there was just something about the era, the early area, uh, era of Hellblazer where it's uh Jamie Delano writing the the original uh original scripts and it just resonated with me uh in a way that not many other things had done up to that point because I'd read V for Vendetta and, and all of those things but there was just something about the the raw characterization in Hell in Hellblazer that was like okay it's this this is what I want to be doing that's really cool. Those are some serious titles to get started on. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, is that uh, uh, I'm not sure whereabouts you uh, you are in the States, but from where I am in the UK, it's I'm from Somerset in the UK, which is it's in the south. It's kind of like the Alabama of England, I, I would say, where, okay. where, where we're, we're pretty rural. We're pretty cut off. I don't know. Have you seen um, Hot Fuzz, the movie Hot Fuzz? Yeah. Yes. The uh, Edgar Wright, the director, is from the city that I'm from, the town that I'm from. He went to my school and Hot Fuzz is filmed where I am from. So all of those jokes about uh, people talking like farmers and well, all the crazy things that farmers do that's where i'm from so there's no comic shops there's uh the only way to get comics is via mail order so i'd always done mail order uh like issues of spider-man or batman or like get the big anthologies when they when they come out but 
I don't think I set foot in a comic shop until I was 18 years old. And so that for me was just mesmerizing. Like there are shops for this. Like I didn't, I thought outside of clerks, that wasn't even something that existed. So, (laughs) um, yeah, it was a really big deal to find this backlog of, of comics and just work my way through it and, uh, never look back. That's really cool that you go from having to really go out of your way. I mean, in today's world with the internet and everything, you know, comic shops became the norm in a lot of areas, I would say in probably like the seventies, yeah. the early eighties. Yeah. So to go from that and now you have a master's degree in comics, <laughs> essentially. I mean, I didn't even yes. know that existed when I was reading about that. I'm like, that is really cool. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, I have a, a master's degree in comics and graphic novels from the University of Dundee. Uh, and Dundee is in Scotland. It's a, a one, maybe the third biggest city in Scotland. And it's kind of the home of British comics. Like lots of obviously London is the home of uh, most British, uh, especially English media. But um, Dundee is where British comics really thrived. Um, like I know in the States you have your own Dennis the Menace. Well, we have a British version of Dennis the Menace who is completely different to yours. Uh, ours has black hair. He wears uh, red and black stripes. He has a dog called Nasher. Um, and he's a, a similar kind of character, I suppose, to, to, to your Dennis the Menace. But ours is really vile. He's a terrible human being. Um, <laughs> but the, those were those comics were called the Beano and the Dandy, and they were these, um, especially for children, but they're, um, people continue to kind of collect those anthologies again as they get older. And uh, I had my, my grandparents had, again, from every annual of the Dandy and Beano, like back to ni- 1969, like these are an, an institution um, in British comics, and they all came out of Dundee, where the master's degree uh, is hosted as well. So there's like actual comic book statues and stuff in Dundee. It's, yeah, really amazing. Um, so it's a perfect place because the University of Dundee itself is, is a great institution, but it's the perfect place for this course to be. And it was something that I, I wanted to do because I have a, my bachelor's degree is in script writing, um, for like film, TV, theater, radio, stuff like that. But really, while I was doing all this coursework for like, OK, now you have to write a TV series, it's kind of like, well, I'm writing Judge Dredd if I had the choice. Um so I wanted to do the master's degree, but it's expensive in the UK, um, to, especially to do a master's degree. So uh, I left the UK where after the economic nightmare in, in the, the early 2010s, it was just get out of the UK because there's no money to be made, here, especially in Somerset, like in hot fuzz country. There's no money for someone with a degree. I was told at the, the local job advisor, if you want to get a job here, don't tell anyone you have a degree because they're not going to hire you if you see you have a university qualification. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that was a real uh, kick in the in in the you know where's. Yeah. So, um, uh, my pair, my step, my stepfather, my mother are both teachers, and I'd always resisted going into teaching, but I kind of had to. Um, then after a year in the UK, I moved to China because I found out I could really make more money working in China. Um, and I taught in China for a year and in Hong Kong for a year and saved up the money to go back to the UK and do my master's degree. And it was the best. Um, I kind of went there with this assumption, like, I know 
every rogues gallery for every superhero that has ever existed. Like this degree, I've al- it's already in the bag, right? I've already passed the degree because I know everyone's secret identity and that's basically going to be it. And then the first thing, they slap uh, Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud in front of you and go, now read this back to front because you're going to need it for what's going to happen next. And it was just the biggest education in comics. It was just invaluable to me, absolutely invaluable. Uh, and I met amazing creators and it was an international, uh, there were maybe 20 people on the course at most, but we varied from people uh, like myself, uh, who I was 25, 26 when I, I went there to study and I'd, I'd like, earned the money to go and do it. Then there were people who would just come out of their art degrees who were like straight in there. Um, we had Monty Nero, uh, the comic book writer. He's written for, for Marvel and uh, he's written some, some X-Men titles. So we've got like actual established writers on the course as well. And just uh, we've got French creators. We had uh, American creators. We had Icelandic creators. It was just, yeah, really amazing. Um, and it was on the master's degree that I met uh, Gary and Mark, uh, and I forgot to say Brazilian creators. Mark is from Brazil. And um, Gary and Mark are the penciler and the inker on the boxer. So uh, all of those people that I've met have been a huge influence on the work. And, you know, three, four years later, we're still, you know, working on projects, which is the best. Yeah, really. That is very, very interesting. Like, like I said, I never heard of a mastery in comics, and then to have it be this whole uh, deep dive and cultural meld had to influence the work tremendously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was really interesting watching the international students coming over because we had uh, one girl uh, coming over from from the states who is an absolute academic because the the course is split into two parts there's the the academic side of the degree which i did and then there's the art side of the degree for people who are really talented and um i just you know just i'll just write a couple of essays and hope for the best but the artists are incredibly mind-blowing but you've got that we had two i think just two students from the from america coming over but then they're coming over to study comics but it it's like, OK, well, before we start that, we're going to have to teach you everything about British comics because it's just it's the town. The town is is built around it. And, um, yeah, there's just been a real embrace of the, the culture, a real celebration of the culture of British comics there, which it's something that uh, has often been forgotten in recent years with uh, with British comics in general often or we have a history in in British comics of we have 2000 AD who make Judge Dredd and and uh the uh, those science fiction mega city one uh, comics but what has a habit of happening is uh of super talented amazing writers and artists will go into 2000 AD then they are there for two or three years and then a Marvel DC Dark Horse Titan who uh image will come over and then swipe them all and um british comics is kind of lacking a bit of a, a kick it needs it needs something to uh, to jump start it again and i think the degree is uh, a step in that direction it sounds like it. it sounds like it's a huge international draw yeah um so also looking through your portfolio on your website it looks like you have a huge range of comics too like every genre every style and, and even like like you have stuff that looks like it's from now you have stuff that looks like it's from the silver age but yeah. you've 
created them. Uh, Was that influenced by your time in this degree program? Because it sounds like it was kind of everywhere. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, that is very complimentary of you to say that it's so varied. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess. Uh, A lot of it does come from looking at comics with that, with a more academic mindset that I didn't necessarily have going in, but that I really learned to appreciate. Because there were things in the Silver Age that, and, and the Golden Age especially that I was just kind of ready to dismiss, where it's uh, kind of looking back at the, those comics and going, yeah, but what did Jack Kirby really have to offer? Right. Like, yeah, he was groundbreaking for the time. There's no doubt about that. But looking back at it now, you know, the art. The art has evolved so tremendously. You know, what is Jack Kirby really doing? And it was just mind blowing, especially studying alongside the artist, because the artists learn from the from uh, looking at art in a way that I'd never appreciated or understood. And the biggest uh, influence probably on my work was um, going through back to Winsor McKay, who was the old um, American cartoonist uh, back when they were in newspapers and his work on uh, Little Nemo in Slumberland, where this is before comics are, there's before the superhero, before any of this. And he's experimenting with the form of comics. And it was because it was so fresh and the medium was so young. He just, he's just got that ability to, play with to play with comics in a way that we kind of take for granted these days and so yeah throughout throughout the work i've tried to build in a and some academic the critique that i've i've built up a lot that i've that i've learned along the way but it's still kind of going back to the things that inspire me and uh the, that little nemo in slumberland was a big influence on my work and then as was things like um, frederick wortham uh, Frederick Wortham's Senate hearings in the 1950s, where he basically destroys the comic book industry. You have this German-American psychologist sit down in front of the, the U.S. Senate and say, yeah, but comic books are really just for delinquents, aren't they? And that's such a huge moment in this McCarthy-era America, where comics, we don't often talk about how that affected the industry because it was a massive shift when EC Comics, who are doing these amazing horror comics, and they're just shut down. And the Comics Code Authority comes in. And then you have creators like Marv Wolfman 10 years, 20 years later. And because of what Frederick Wortham did and the Comics Code Authority, Marv Wolfman couldn't even have his name in the comic because Wolfman is also Wolfman and (laughs) Wolfman is, is a horror comics thing. So he can't even have his name in the book. It's just, it's just this mind blowing stuff that is, yeah, it's impossible for it not to influence the work you're doing kind of as it goes along. As far as the style, because you're primarily a writer, a writer creator, I would say. Um, when you write something, do you write it like, okay, whoever I work with on this, they have to have the Silver Age look or it has to have, you know, such and such a style? Or do you just kind of pitch it around to artists that you know or you'd like to work with and see what they come up with? Yeah, I've, one of the things I've really been uh, developing over the last year or two is that 
knowledge of, okay, here is the script. Now, who is it appropriate for? Because the great thing about the master's degree was was meeting all of these amazing artists who have just this massive variety of, of styles. But then once I started working with Gary and Mark, who I work with on The Boxer, we built up this kind of collaborative style that was just like, okay, it's it's Gary and Mark are my go-to collaborators just because we work really well. And I know that Gary, for example, um, we worked on a superhero comic called Unity together, and that was – uh, Gary's dissertation for his master's degree was he had to draw and put together this 30-page comic. So, well, dear, 20, 24-page comic. So he asked me to, to write the script for it. It's like, okay, so I'll sit down and write the script. But what does Gary want to be drawing here is what I'm thinking while I'm writing it, right? Like, it has to be a good script. There has to be a, The story has to be good. The characterization has to be good. But what's going to be fun for Gary to do? And... Then I've moved on to more autobiographical stuff recently, and I've been working with uh, a wider variety of of artists because the the guys that I'm working with on a boxer are not necessarily going to be interested in a, a delve into my mental health history or you know something like you know is we'd rather be drawing superheroes or than uh, you know talking about how depressed you are all the time. <laughs> so the, the the other big lesson has been, yes, it's important to find a penciler uh, and uh, a penciler that can work with the style of the script. But more than that, the, the biggest surprise to me has been the influence that the, the colorer and the, the letterer have on the work. Because that was another thing that I was just, as a writer, was so willing to take for granted. It's one of the things with lettering where you see letter, uh, letters and colors in the comic. And if you don't notice it, it's kind of doing a good job. And that allowed me for so long to just completely unappreciate the talent and work of colorers and, and, and letterers until I did a comic called The Card Cheat, which was an adaptation uh, of the song The Card Cheat by The Clash. I keep doing adaptations of The Clash. I, I don't know why. <laughs> but so we worked uh, We worked with Ruth Redmond on that, who was a, a colorer for Marvel. She colored uh, Worst X-Men, Worst X-Man Ever, which is a, a really great book. She, and she colors a lot of Deadpool and stuff like that. And I managed to steal her away to, uh, to come and do The Card Cheat. And there's a piece of coloring she does in this on a, on a Union Jack flag, on the, the British flag. And I just looked at that flag for about five minutes going, shit, <laughs> how did I not notice how important coloring was until I was looking at this flag going, that's just the, the shading on the flag. And just I, I don't know what it was about it that really captivated me on that. But ever since then. Uh, I've been paying a lot more attention to the mood and the the style that the colorists and and the letters really bring to the work as well. That's really cool that you mentioned that because I've I've been noticing that myself recently too, especially in the lettering. Is like you think, yeah, you just put the dialogue in the bubble and you move on, but it's there's so much yes. to it. <laughs> I know, and the thing is as well, uh, for a, a boxer, we're working with Hassan. Hassan is yeah, is is our letter uh, is our letterer, and. 
every time I would reach out to letters for different projects, uh, I'd be like, oh, are you interested in this? They, maybe they would say something like, oh, I'm a little bit busy, but you should message Hassan. And I'd go, oh, yeah, fine, fine, fine. And talk to you, email all the people I thought that, you know, might be interesting to work with. And every time they would say, message Hassan, message Hassan. So I thought, well, who is this guy? Right. Who is this guy that everyone is saying is so great? So I just I check his uh, check his portfolio, I guess his bibliography. And it's like every single book I've read for the last year. Right. Every book I've read for the last year and gone, oh, that was great. It, it, Hassan has worked on. I'm like, what, what, that, it's mind blowing with letters because they're invisible on the work. Their name is on it, but nobody goes, yeah, he's really my favorite letterer. Like it yeah. just doesn't, it just doesn't happen, right? So I, I check out all of Hassan's work. I'm like, wow, that's re- that's really great. What else is he doing? Oh, he's been nominated for an Eisner Award. Okay, well that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty cool. And then in the last year, he's won the Eisner Award, and I managed to kind of steal him for the project before he, you know, was too valuable to be uh, to be got. Which is wow, that's re- incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's really great for us. Uh, he's, his Eisner winning work is Panel X Panel, which is a comic book. Uh, a journal. It's not necessarily a journal. Anyway, it's it's yeah, academic work that really breaks down comics, and it's incredible. Yeah, really, really amazing. So that that's been a a great insight for me as well because I'm reading the work that the the analysis work that he is doing. As uh, he does has a YouTube channel called Strip Panel Naked as well, where he does the same thing. And is maybe he'll pick like a uh, Mike Magno- Mike Magnolia. Um, I can't even say his name now, Mike Mignola Hellboy strip, and then go, right, this is what Mike Mignola is doing that makes it so amazing. This is why it works. So I'm watching what Hassan is doing and then going, oh, yeah, I better take notes for that because he can't read my script and he's way ahead of me on all of this stuff, right? So, yeah, yeah so I, I kind of learn from him and then quickly change what I'm doing to make sure that it's not embarrassing when uh, when he gets around to it. Wow, that is that is deep. That's really, really cool. Um, well, you've talked a lot about your team on a boxer, so I guess we should jump into a boxer since that's yeah. mainly what we're here for. Um, do you want to give everyone a quick synopsis? Um, the description you had sent over is pretty heavy. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if that's a compliment, but I'm going to take it as one. No, it is a compliment. Uh, oh, then then, then uh, the, the, the English man in me is going to be embarrassed, but I'll take it. Um, the... The elevator pitch is a boxer is about an up and coming fighter who has to choose between uh, his career as as a boxer, which is very hyper masculine dominated, and then his sexual identity uh, as a gay man. And it's this clash of worlds where there haven't been very many openly gay professional boxers. Orlando Cruz is the the main example of of, uh, a gay boxer. And what defined Orlando Cruz was that he came out publicly and said, I'm I'm gay. Actually, what he said was, I'm Puerto Rican and I'm proud of my nationality. I'm gay and I'm proud of my sexuality. And those were the things that he... Uh, defined himself as as a fighter and went forward with that proudly. The issue for the main character, uh, Mike Shepard in A Boxer, is that 
he doesn't want to be defined by his sexuality. Uh, he wants to be remembered like Muhammad Ali is remembered as the greatest or like Mike Tyson is remembered, like the baddest man on the planet. You know, like one of those fighters that just echoes through the halls, you know, for their warrior nature. Whereas coming out in a sport where, especially in a sport where there are so few other gay athletes, it's really going to be the thing that defines you. And it's an uphill battle to make yourself known as the greatest of all time if everyone is always saying, oh, yeah, that's the gay boxer over there. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the main uh the main thrust of the of the main thrust of the story but it's also kind of the boxing's a very international sport and we, as we said earlier on i live in in moscow in russia and boxing and mma and they are very very popular here very big here and being gay is not very big here um it's not accepted um it's you know holding hand two guys holding hands can get beaten up in the street and uh, trans trans women get laughed at in the street. And it's it's difficult in a sport like boxing where it's so international and so many countries like the Philippines and Russia dominate the sport, but they also have uh, views on sexuality that are kind of a little bit uh, less widely held in uh, other parts of the world. So, yeah, it's kind of about how how is this fighter going to balance those things? Is he ever going to balance them or can he balance them, I guess? It, does your living there, is that what – I guess I should ask more, more uh, widely, what inspired the story? Yeah. Well, I used to live in China. And uh, I was a, a teacher at a high school in China. And uh, in China, I was incredibly isolated. It was basically it was uh, I was in a town of maybe 50,000 people. But it was I didn't I didn't speak particularly good Chinese, which was a real problem. Um, so it was uh, quite isolating for me being there. But I had a really nice connection with the students that, that I taught. It was I taught in a school with with 4,000 students. There's 60 students in a class. So I teach 4,000 students every two weeks. So I teach everyone um, in, in, in school. So yes, yeah, 60 students in a class. But as I was there for a year or two, three different students came up to me and said, teacher, I'm, I'm gay. And I'm really kind of scared to tell my parents about it. And that was a really interesting moment for me because there are, uh, especially coming from from comics and uh, academia, whereas generally you can't get other than this is perhaps like the comics gate thing that I don't know very much about because I in I was in China when all of that all of the comics gate things happened and I didn't have access to any social media so I missed a lot of it, but especially independent comics, is very open and accepting of LGBT creators. And so then being in China where, you know, the, the, these kids are genuinely thinking, if I tell my parents that I'm gay, that's going to be a problem because my parents want me to marry and then they want me to have children. And then there are all of these cultural expectations that I won't be able to do. And they were scared of the consequences of that. And there was something about that that mixed with 
all of the podcasts I was listening to at the time, which is one of the way I, I found this podcast was because I was on kind of on my own there. I was listening to a hundred podcasts a day. So I was listening to like every comic podcast you can find every, is there something about the MCU? I'm going to listen to it. And then also listening to uh, a lot. I listened to a lot of American news podcasts as well. And so it was listening to things uh, talking about like uh the clash over identity crisis that's going on in the States and in the UK as well. And all of these things all kind of culminated. At the time, I found uh, another Australian podcast called Finding Drago, which is an amazing podcast. If, if anyone has the chance to check it out, I would. Finding Drago is an Australian podcast about an, the mysterious author of a Rocky Four fan fiction novel who disappeared in the mid 90s and nobody knows what happened to him. And it's like this kind of it's it's it sounds really ridiculous. But it's it like is, bizarrely specific. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it, it's like it's like six episodes long, something like that. And I guarantee you it is the best six episode podcast you will ever have listened to it's amazing and it's kind of diving into the the world of this writer and he's talking about these uh like these this world of uh almost hemingway inspired boxing literature where it's like this hyper like hyper masculine but delving into the soul uh the soul of the the fighter and you know that kind of what it means to be a man sort of thing that Hemingway was writing in, in the 30s, 40s and 50s, I guess. And part of a boxer was a, a molding of all of these influences of how are these, especially young men in China, going to deal with their sexuality? How am I dealing with feelings that I have maybe about myself, my own sexuality, my own masculinity? And then... How is masculinity changing over all of this time? And all of this kind of came together at the same time. I rediscovered boxing as a sport because I used to love it when I was a teenager, but kind of uh, fell out of it a little bit as I left the UK. And finding all of these things coming together, the, the thing basically wrote itself, which is very convenient for me because I'm pretty lazy. So <laughs> um, it was really, yeah, it was really uh, one of those moments where it all just kind of worked and I knew that it worked because um, I have a Slack channel with with Gary and Mark, who the penciler and the inker who I did the master's degree with. And normally we just go, God, isn't Jonathan Hickman amazing? And that's basically what the Slack channel is. Um, but I will also just uh, throw ideas at them constantly. And I throw so many ideas at them that they kind of go, yeah, 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 whatever. Fine, fine, fine. Another one. But I know that... It, it's an idea I have to work on when it sticks. And the boxer was the idea that I threw and I threw at the Slack channel and Mark went that one, write that one. And I was like, okay, <laughs> basically if someone else thinks that the idea is worth working on, then uh, I guess I'll have to do. That's really cool how it came along. Um, and, and the book talking about your discovery of comics and the era you discovered and how you just kind of love little bits of everything from everywhere when you're talking about your experience at school, the a boxer has a really classic look to it. I would say a Silver Age look. Yeah. And I wanted to say it was dealing with a modern issue, but this isn't really a modern issue. It's more just modern that it can be talked about now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the problems I have with a lot of 
media and uh, especially a lot of modern I should say independent. You know, people say that Image Comics is independent, but it's kind of it's Image Comics. So it's not really uh, anyway. Um, one of the problems I have with lots of with lots of books is how they date themselves. And this has um, this is uh, part partly because we still think of comics as being disposable in a weird way. Like in the old day, you know, you pick up your, your comic for 10 cents and then you'd read it and then you'd discard it. And that's why an issue of Superman, like Action Comics number one with Superman, is worth $10 million because everyone just threw their copies away back in you know, 1938 or when, whenever it came out. Right. Um, so nobody kept them, so now it's worth something. But we still kind of treat comics like that, but also we don't because um, we put them in plastic bags and we keep them in our sheds for 10 years until your stepson can discover Constantine and then, you know, all of this happens. So it's not disposable. But... A lot of the creator-owned comics will age themselves by going, here's my teenage character on Twitter, or even worse, here's my teenage character on MySpace. And then someone reads your independent comic 15 years later, and they're like, what is this talking about? And it becomes part of that loses its relevancy. And that's something that I kind of wanted to avoid a little bit on a boxer because as you're saying it, it is a modern story but it's only modern because we're, we're talking about lgbt issues now it's the lgbt issues can kind of be substituted for whatever is you know the the uh, the topic of the day you know the, the time the the time that people are reading it in i hope i hope it works like that so the biggest inspiration we took for the art outside of comics was uh, the American realist artist George Bellows, who, I don't want to embarrass myself here, um, was doing boxing art back in the early 20th century. And kind of like before sporting photographs, it's like George Bellows' art on, on boxing is just... Uh, iconic really it's like the raging bull of the 1920s it's just the, the sheer force of of will of these two fighters comes across so that was kind of what we wanted to capture and gary's pencils did a good job of that mark's inks created this depth that was that was really great but then amanda our, our colorist who is another brazilian uh, illustrator from Sao Paulo. Uh, she's the winner of a Dente Award, which is uh, an independent comics award. Well, it's a comics award from Brazil. She won the Dente Award for best independent comic. So she's a, an award winner all in herself. She took what I was saying in the script and then just blew past it in a way that I had, yeah, I had no expectations for. When those, those colors came back and it captured that grainy classic style, like, like you're, like you're discussing, it was just a moment of how did she know that that was what I wanted when I didn't know that was what I wanted. And yeah, we were really lucky that she just intuitively caught the, the classic style because the, to me, it feels like it should be printed on newspaper print, right? It feels like it should be on that rough paper. And because, yeah, it looks like uh, something, it looks like something from the, yeah, from the Silver Age, as you're saying. And that's something I'm really proud of that we've managed to capture that feeling of kind of timelessness almost. And hopefully that 
that carries through. We're not going to Twitter's not going to pop up anytime. Yeah, I think you you definitely nailed it, uh, at least in the look, um, which is really cool how it just kind of came to be and it wasn't some huge mm. planned discussion. Yeah. Yeah, we, we were really, uh, really fortunate with that. And it's for me working with with Gary and Mark and Amanda and, and Hassan is just mm, an incredible experience because I've been writing comics for far too long for for 10 years i guess but nothing has come together like this um nothing has just worked as perfectly as this and they are so good they are leaps and bounds ahead of where i am which is both scary and kind of inspirational because i as i was saying with with learning from hassan to make sure i'm not embarrassed in the script i need i'm constantly trying to go right they are this good I need to be, you know, at least on par. So it's a, it's kind of a, a playful competition that I feel with the rest of the creative team that they all have no idea about. They probably, <laughs> they're, 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 nobody is reading the script going, Oh God, I really need to do my best work on this, but they're doing their best work anyway. So yeah, that's, they're just professionals, I guess. That's really cool. And that's how you grow as an artist yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And from here, um, we're, we're running Kickstarter this time because we, we have a publisher. We're publishing with, with BHP Comics, who are uh, a British comics a publisher. They've won a couple of awards. over the, They're pretty new, but they've won awards for like best new publisher and things like that. And they just printed um, the work of Charlie Adler, the artist from The Walking Dead. Um, they just printed like his life collection of art and they're working, they work with Frank Quietly, uh, the, the Scottish comic creator a lot. Like they work with some really good big names, but in today's industry, it's kind of difficult to make a 100 page graphic novel written by somebody who is not, you know, Alan Moore or, you know, who's not Tom King or one of those, one of those names. So, um, they're, handling all of the printing distribution and stuff but gary and mark amanda and hassan all have to be paid because 100 pages is a lot of work to be doing so we're we're kickstarting the costs to pay them um, i'm not taking any of the money from the kickstarter because that adds more costs to it and we just want to make sure that we get the work done if we get more money than we ask for then i'll you know then i'll happily uh, happily get paid but for now <laughs> but for now it's just like we just want to make the book and these guys also want to eat so kickstarter is yeah the way we're we're hoping to address both of those things food and art you know what, what more do you need after that uh, how would someone find it on Kickstarter? Just search for a boxer. Yeah, a, a boxer is the way to go. Yes, at the moment uh, it's being certified by Kickstarter. They have to to agree to it, and then we'll have a link. The link should be up in in the next couple of days, and I can send that to you to post on Twitter or put in show notes. Or yeah, or make sure you do. I'll put I'll yeah. put it up with the interview end on on Twitter. That'd be really good. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the graphic novel is going to be 100 pages. And when I saw that, I'm like, that's a sizable book, like you were just saying. Yeah. Was there ever a consideration to maybe do a five issue run at, you know, 20, 22 pages? 
Yeah, one one of the the ways I went about pitching the book was I I had the idea, I'd written a lot of the script, I got the first uh, six pages and a cover drawn up by the creative team. Then I went to a Comic-Con in the UK, a very small Comic-Con called Comic Salopia. And it was really small, there was nobody there, but somehow they managed to attract uh, the head of IDW Comics. Uh, they got uh, Eric Stevenson, the one of the, the main guys at Image Comics. They had uh, Frank Quietly, they had Kieran Gillen, they had like all of these just amazing uh, institutions really of international comics. They had Delcor from France and, and BHP from, from the UK were there. And I had the chance to sit down with all of them, basically with all of these incredible publishers and uh, pitch the work to them, which is a dream, right? Like nobody goes to a Comic-Con and gets to pitch their book to image comics, right? Like it just doesn't happen. Oh, I imagine but, they, people walk up to them all the time and they say, yeah, yeah, sure. And then they, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And like for us, for us in the UK, lots of like, we all have this dream of, you know, I'm going to go to, to New York Comic Con or I'm going to go to, to San Diego and I'm going to make it big and everyone's going to see how great I am. But no one's got time at San Diego Comic Con to sit down with you. Like they've all got to go into the, the stadium while everyone cheers and whoops and, you know, there, <laughs> right. there's no, t there's no time to, to pitch your book whereas in comics alopia all of the same people were there and they had nothing to do so it was a lot of um hello chris ryle uh head of idw comics can i buy you a drink and tell you about my book and there all of the publishers wanted something different um idw and image were like well we don't really do uh just 100 page 120 page graphic novels you'd have to break it down into a five issue series kind of as you were saying um in the the french publishers were saying well actually no we're not interested in a five issue series we really want a 240 page graphic novel because the industry is so different in europe it's like i say the the european industry is as different from the american industry as like manga is like it's just a completely yeah a completely separate world oh, so the french publisher the french publisher wanted something different the american publisher wanted something different and it was bhp the the british publisher who i kind of went this is what we want to do and they went yeah you should do that and that was a kind it was a moment of um here, here is what you have to do realistically to make it happen. But the artistic vision you have for the book, like we want to help you fulfill that. We want to help you dis distribute that. We want to, you know, put it on bookshelves if we can. Um, which was a big change from sending the work off to, to the States and then go, well, the market really wants individual issues. So you're going to have to rewrite and restructure the entire story because writing writing uh like an ongoing comic series you have to have an overarching story for your five issues but then you also have to have an open and closing story of your 20 page comic as well for it to right. you know for, for each issue to feel uh, to feel complete whereas um with with bhp it was like okay what's your what's your story and how are you going to tell it and yeah, that that has really worked in our favor. Um, so when it does come out uh, with the Kickstarter, then it's just it's a full on book. We've got stretch goals as well for um, you know some extra. We have three extra five page uh, comics to go. It's like it's a service chapter chapter breaks and an epilogue to kind of expand on the work and then also uh, yeah to fill in some side characters that don't get as much time as we want. And then 
I'm the one one of the things I'm really excited for because I'm I've turned into a academic nerd as well, which is awful. It's really bad. All I ever wanted to do was write Spider Man, but now I'm like, how can I do this essay? Um, <laughs> we we managed to get um, uh, an Australian uh, academic who is a, a doctor in. Um, in diversity in sport. It's this incredibly as niche as uh, a master's degree in comics and graphic novels is a doctorate in diversity in sport, I think. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're talking with them about putting uh, an article together and uh, like a, a five page essay kind of thing to kind of expand on the themes that we're telling in the story, because we're 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 trying to to get across the feelings and the world of this character, but we don't have time to sit down in a hundred pages. We can't, you know, break down the origins of homophobia in, in modern sport or anything like that. So the essay at the end should hopefully uh, give uh, a more structured, uh, yeah, some more structure to the themes that we're trying to explore, which is really great. That's really cool. That's very interesting. It's, it's a, a really deep dive into everything and very complete. So I totally get the, the hundred page single issue delivery of it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing is as well is I've, I've probably sounded like a real pretentious asshole while I'm talking about all of this stuff, but it also has to be, well, thank you. Thank you. But it, it also has to be fun. Right. Like if if it's not fun to read, then I can be trying to tell all of, you know, I could be trying to tell all of the the explore all of the themes or, or whatever that I, that I want to. But it has to be fun to read. And we've been trying to uh, play around with uh, like how to, to show the fights, for example. We've been trying to to mess around with you know, with with the form of comics themselves so that people actually get a kick out of reading the comic. Like, I don't want people to read the comic and go, well, that was a really solid essay. But what was going on with the comic? Right. Like it, it has to be a great it has to be a great book as well. So, uh, yeah, that's that's really what we're working towards, I think. It sounds like you're on the right track. I mean, you have a huge team and you have nice distribution that believes in what you're doing. And it sounds like something you're really passionate about. So I don't doubt you're going to hit your goal. Yeah, fingers crossed. You know, we're, we're, we're asking for uh, for twenty five thousand pounds, which is like thirty thousand dollars. Like it's a lot of money that we're asking for. Um, but it's seventeen thousand pounds for the artists. And um, that's because it'll take six to eight months to finish drawing the book. And, you know, as I was saying earlier, they got to eat over, yeah. you know, over the course of six to eight months. So we're asked 17,000 uh, pounds goes to them. 8,000 pounds is for us to buy the copies of the book from the publisher for the people who back the book. And that's it. Like we're not asking for, for any extra money for, for, you know, any side projects or anything like that. It's, it's food and buying the books for the people who back the who you know back the project and and that's that's all we're going for so yeah fingers crossed uh, fingers crossed we hit it because yeah I'm really looking forward to to seeing the book come to life it's very exciting um, I've kept you for a while and I know it's getting late there and this might be the question that you hate to answer but it <laughs> sounds like you have so many ideas and you've done so many diverse projects mm. what's next. <laughs> Oh God, that it's it's an a, a, 
an impossible question because this book is the thing I've worked on like solidly for the last year. Um, I came up with the idea over a year ago now. And then for the last year, it's been, okay, uh, I have to make the money to you know, to make the pitch materials. Then I've got to get all of the art together. And it's just, the last year has just been a boxer, a boxer, a boxer, a boxer. Um, but once the Kickstarter is finished and the artists are doing their work, then I can actually breathe and, and move on to something else. So after a, a lot of drinking, um, the, <laughs> the, the other book that I came up with around the same time um, was an adaptation of Spanish Bombs by The Clash, another Clash adaptation. Um, but Spanish Bombs is, uh, yeah, a song by The Clash of London Calling that is just, uh, it's, it's a famous song, but it's the, the narrative and the story that it's telling are really undervalued. So, uh, I was working with, with two artists, uh, on that and, that's kind of my my dream project after this. Um, then there's some depressing autobiographical stuff about parents and grandparents, but that's no fun. Um, yeah, it's, I'm I'm really looking forward to taking a break from this and then finding you know the next the next piece of inspiration that comes along. My plan for the end of the year is to get hired by someone, um, which may sound like a really really stupid but i've been teaching for a long time now to pay for the books that we want to make because um up until the kickstarter i've been you know earning money and then paying the artist myself and my real dream is to not pay for the work my my you know my aim for this year is by the end of the year someone goes oh wow that that book's actually really solid uh we're gonna pay you and when that happens i'll, I'll probably retire straight away because it's not going to get a better feeling than that <laughs> very cool why don't you tell everybody where they can find uh more of your work yes uh my website is dominicarchercomics.com i have twitter and instagram um i only got them for the boxer so once this is done i don't know how active i'll be i'll probably probably keep going because yeah it's it's good for sharing uh good for sharing art my instagram is dominicarchercomics i think and uh twitter i'm at let me check comics archer at comics archer and yeah that's it and uh, one more time, the Kickstarter campaign, just go to Kickstarter um, as of the 27th, I believe you're launching it, and search yes. for a boxer, and anything boxer. you can give would help. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we got uh, – you can get the, the digital comic for £5, which is I don't know, like $8, something like that, I guess. And then we have all the way up to, to £80, which is like the, the hard – back cover of the book with the paperback cover of the book the digital comic all kinds of stuff so yeah just uh as, as much as you can give will stop those poor those poor poor artists from, from starting <laughs> over over the next year all right cool well, uh dominic thanks for taking the time to sit down with me this was very interesting yeah thank you adam it's been a pleasure and thanks everyone else for listening what an absolutely fascinating guy I loved sitting down with him. I loved getting the chance to talk to him and pick his brain. As you can see, he really knows his stuff. He really knows what he's talking about. I urge everybody to check out his portfolio online. Um, you know, Hit the guy up. His work is fantastic. It's very unique and very varied. He's not a, a one-trick pony. Check out his Kickstarter if you can. 
a boxer looks really cool. It's a really unique style that harkens back to the Silver Age. Even check out the other resources that he mentions in the interview. All of it is just comes full circle and will have you appreciating comic books even more than you already do. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're adding new stuff all the time. Please make sure to listen to SubWizard Podcast every single week, wherever you get your podcasts. SubWizard Podcast can be found on Patreon, and for a very small monetary donation, you can help support the show and get bonus content. Also make sure to go to SubWizardPodcast.com for reviews, recommendations, merchandise, and more. Thanks again for listening.